1911 is one of the most iconic firearms in history. Designed by John Browning, the 1911 was the standard-issue sidearm of the U.S. military from 1911 to 1985. While Colt produced the original, almost every major firearm company has produced its own version. It's wildly revered for its reliability, crisp trigger, and is still a favorite for all types of shooters. Whether you're looking to buy or build a 1911 and just about everything for guns, log on to MidwayUSA.com. Boat Trader, America's largest boating marketplace, offering easy financing and over 100,000 boat listings to choose from. Sell, find, and finance new or used boats on America's largest boating marketplace. Visit BoatTrader.com to get started. Oh, here we go, boys. Go. Ooh, I love that sound. This is a good one. sound in. Yeah, that was pretty lame. But, you know, it it's alright. It is what it is. Oh, it's premium. I gotta look at the cap. What did I catch? 35 pound catfish. Nice. That's a good one. Probably is, that a, is that a logger? Probably a flathead. Yeah. Amer Greenbelt Premium American Logger. Outstanding. I'd, I'd expect nothing else. The The limited tackle edition or limited edition oh the tackle box limited edition i guess you can win a boat or something i don't know does it taste any different no it does not it tastes oh, wonderful, wonderful as it always does well you know it, it wasn't the it wasn't the transvestite controversy that uh tank bud light you know that it was uh, a sperm flavored beer I wouldn't know uh, for a couple reasons, um, not not knowing the taste of, of sperm, and um, I avoid Bud Light so be, way before I, any controversy. So I, even if I, I knew, even if I knew what that flavor was, I I could not confirm nor deny that. I had an inside track local gay guy at the bar. <laughs> I hope I hope you weren't sampling a flight. No, dude, he gave me a heads up. He loved it. <laughs> He bought the bar, kept oh it all to God. himself. Uh, well, that's, I mean, that's, that's one way to kick off a podcast, I guess. Live your life, man. Like, <laughs> that's right. No hate. No hate at all. Hashtag no hate. Man, that's what's hey, up. They did, they did the, in my opinion, they did this country a favor, and it got people off of drinking terrible beer. Like, yeah. I think it was it was my contention all along and had nothing to do with anything. I'm just like, I don't understand how this is one of the biggest beers in the country when it is clearly one of the worst. Yeah. I just don't get it. I just don't get it. In my opinion, beer has really been for hydration anyhow. Um, and Budweiser, it's, it's always been plain Jane. Really, it just gave us a reason to hate each other more. You know, we, we didn't, we didn't need a reason. I was going to say, I don't think it really needed a reason, but it just kind of, it just kind of fueled flames that didn't need fueling. 
Yeah, you know, people are just on edge. They just want to. That's just where our culture is right now. Everybody has like the the new American pastime is recreational outrage, and people just wait for something to be pissy about. And I catch myself doing it a little bit. Like if I go on TikTok or Twitter or whatever it is, it's like it does seem like the thing. Like you can scroll through. 20 things that you laughed at, you agreed with, you like. Oh, there's a fishing thing. That was cool. You don't bother liking it. You don't bother commenting. You don't follow the creator. And then all of a sudden, something comes up on your feed that you disagree with and straight to the comments. And you're like, this motherfucker. You know what I mean? It's like human nature. It's just how human nature works, unfortunately. And And it stays with you. Yeah. And then so, I mean, I actively try to go like... I'm not sending that, and I'll just delete it and then move on with my life. You know, it's like, but it, it take like it's something you actually have to be aware of, and like exercise some restraint. And most people just don't. Most people just let it fly. They get that little endorphin fix and look for the next one. You know. Talking about endorphin fixes, do you know petting a dog's a natural endorphin fix? Uh, I'm sure. I'm sure it is. I mean, who doesn't like petting dogs? Dude, hundred percent legitimate it's i do believe there's been clinical studies i'm petting one right now my old dog she's i think she's about eight and a half i'd have to go back and see when we picked her up she's been uh she's been on the disabled list since last year but uh yeah she serves her purpose yeah Um, dogs have a higher purpose oh dude i i totally agree you have you uh do you subscribe to the idea that uh all living things have an aura I uh, can't say that I do. Well, uh, for, I'm, for, I'm not. Uh, let okay. Me, let me just add a caveat. Other than I personally, I don't have a strong opinion about this. I, I say I say no because I personally don't have any uh, experience with it. I can't say I've ever seen one, experienced one, really thought about one, like auras in general. So if somebody out there can see auras, I, I'm not going to tell you that you can't, but I haven't seen it, so I just take take that for what it is. I'm not shitting on anybody. Oh, definitely not, definitely not. And how how I mean it, I'd say for me, it's more of like a a vibe or an energy. It's it's picking up on, let's say, your spouse, your loved one, or someone you see every day. They're having a bad day. You can kind of pick up on that. You kind of feel what they're feeling, type of thing. That's that's more or less kind of what I'm talking about. You're picking up on their wavelength, their energy. I don't really have a better sure. term for it other than that. But well, I do believe you know, in I do believe in in, in that to, to you know without getting any sort of woo woo. I mean, you feel that with people, like certain people have an energy, or you know they yeah. give off a vibe, if you will. Um, whether you think that's something mystical, something scientific, or it's just uh, a forgotten piece or misunderstood piece of human of culture of picking up on subtle body language keys who knows what it might be I mean it could be all of the above but yeah I mean there's definitely and I'm sure so if, if that can happen with humans why wouldn't it happen with animals you know like, well c- certainly and then you can look at you can look at what I just referenced before with the human uh, petting a, an animal you know a horse a dog a cat and then we receive um, varying levels of a dopamine dump, right? You yeah. know, so then you have that you have that uh, 
I don't know if it would be a transference of energy. I don't know if it's, um, you know, I don't know exactly what you'd call it, but there's just, something chemical. It's just good. It's just an endorphin dump because dogs are awesome, and they give you unconditional love, and who doesn't like dogs? So this this episode is going to kind of be about dogs. I guess we should some sort of uh, uh, an intro here. I have with me Ethan Hansen on the phone, who I have hey there. shared. Can you hear me? Can you hear me now? Did I lose Hi. you? Hey, there's Puppy. That's Tracy. Hey, Trace. Uh, who I have shared a field with. We used to, uh, we both have guided for Dean with Premier Flight before. So that's that's how I know Ethan. And we're going to talk dogs a little bit. Um, so I, I have a fun story about dogs uh, to kick this off. So I moved up here and I started working on the Boys Fort Reservation at the radio station. And like, I don't. Pretty quickly, there was this little, uh, um, well, there's a few different res dogs that kind of run around, but there was this one. He's a little, he's a little white, a little black, kind of Jack Russell Terrier-looking mutt thing. Cute little bugger. Um, and the first time I saw it, it kind of, you know, he kind of came towards my direction, but I, I keep saying he. It's actually a girl. She, and but was really standoffish, you know, had that kind of like wanted to greet me, but was nervous, you know, scared or whatever. And so I talked to it, trying to befriend this thing, and it was just wasn't having it. And then so every now and again, I'd see this dog as I'd walk up to the gas station, get lunch or whatever, and back. And uh, it was always curious, but it would never like fully, you know, and as as winter went on, it would get closer and closer to me. And one time I actually got pretty close. And, you know, let it sniff my hand, all that stuff, and brought my hand up and, like, pet it on the back, and it yelped, which broke my heart, because if anybody knows anything about dogs, that's almost 100% that's abuse. That's, like, would only cause that reaction. Yeah. So that sucked. Um, And it also kind of set us back a little bit, you know, but I just... At that kind of moment, I said, okay, I'm just going to wait. This dog, I'll let this dog come to me in its, in its own time, you know. And that's basically what I did all winter long. And then, you know, sometimes I'd be walking back with food. If I had food, like some chicken, something decent to give it. I wasn't, you know, I wasn't feeding it garbage. But garbage. I'd tear off a little piece and I'd, I'd have to just throw it to you. You wouldn't come up and take it. And so I just kept doing that and slowly building trust. Well, recently... I'd say about three weeks ago, um, it actually, like, it, it was out running around, and I was almost back to the office, and it came up to me, and I was like, you know what, I got a little time, it was a nice day, sun was shining, I sat down on the grass, and I was like, I'm just going to sit here, I'm not really going to acknowledge the dog, you know, I'm not going to try to pet it, I'm not going to do anything, I'm just going to see what happens, and she, you know, kept moving around and getting close and sniffed me. She was happy. And because uh, it, it had gotten, for the weeks leading up to that, she definitely had gotten to the point where she would always come out and greet me. Like it, this was now more than not like a chance thing, but still kind of just keeping that little cushion of safety. And so I just sat there and she kind of, she got close to me and kind of saddled up next to me a little bit. And I wasn't making eye contact. I wasn't moving. But then I kind of felt her weight on me like she just kind of like leaned in me a little bit so i just took my finger because her head was right there and i just like scratched her chin a little bit and she didn't react and she kind of leaned into that a little bit started petting her a little more and then i brought my hand up around and pet her as i was like well let's just see 
and she flinched a little bit at first, but then immediately relaxed. And so I petted her for a little bit, and then next thing you know, she just jumps up on my lap. And then from that point, I was able to scratch her belly, scratch her head, grab her ears. We actually then started like play fighting for a little bit and roughhousing. And uh, I was just so proud of myself. I was like, that took eight months to befriend this dog. And, uh, but we got it. And to the point uh, was Wednesday. Yeah, just yesterday. Uh, I pulled into the parking lot, got out of my truck, don't think anything of it. And I damn near trip over this dog. This dog sprinted to see me. Like legitimately. I was like, holy crap. And got to me and flopped on her back, gave me her belly like instantly. I rubbed her belly and all that stuff, gave her the zoomies, and then had to go to work. But yeah, it's pretty cool. Dude, that's that's what I that's what I'm all about. That's uh you know, from a professional standpoint, you know, occupationally that's that's what I'm all about. That fuels my fire. And you know, you're it's it's not a woo woo thing, but you you read that dog. Mm-hmm. You know, you you read that dog and you established you established trust with it. And you, by you sitting down in the grass and you indicating that it was a dog of short stature, you making yourself, you know, smaller, less intimidating. That was very helpful for it. And then you letting it approach you, obviously you're in a very open world environment. You know, the dog has trust issues. Someone may have harmed it. I mean, we don't know. We can only guess, you know, hopefully not. Maybe it ran away and, you know, maybe it, it trip, you know, we don't know. Hopefully it, mm-hmm. you know, but, uh, it's not that, a stray. It has a collar and I've seen it go in and out of a house. I know which house it, it lives at. So it's not, you know, a, it's not a stray, but they, you know, the dogs just run around the, the community. I'd put it in there. the truck. I'd put it in the truck. <laughs> I'm really tempted, but then part of me is like, I would never want to take someone's dog from that. Well, I'll, I'll tell you what I'd never, I'd never just sit idly by while the dogs getting abused and I know it. Yeah, and but but here's again there's an assumption. I don't know if they abused it or if it was abused before. Like maybe they befriended it the same as me. You know? Oh sure. And then and we're not So I, I just I listen, I thought about it. <laughs> Although I don't have my own place, so I can't rightfully have a dog right now either, even though this is just a tiny little dog. And I'm not a I'm not a small dog person. I like big dogs. I like dogs with utility. And this dog yeah. would simply be a companion for sure we're not and we're not casting stones here we're just pontificating on what possibly could be the issue for this dog it's not you know it it could be it could be an injury at birth maybe uh you know it could be a lot of things but no you you basically um you basically just highlighted the uh you know ice breaking procedure so to speak but you did it over a period of eight months due to your situation well i mean i couldn't i I didn't have the ability to see the dog when I wanted. And I was on it's, yeah. it. Like, if I happened to be out while well, it happened to be out, that was the all, our only opportunity to, to engage with one another. So it was Dude, left a chance and circumstance for sure. Kudos. Yeah, you didn't fun. bring it, you, you didn't bring it trash. You know, you brought it quality food and now it recognized you. And, you know, like you said, it came over and it loves you now. Oh, it was, it was, it was wild how like energetic that last time it ran up to me. I was like, "Holy crap!" I'm like, "Oh, you're right here!" Like, Jesus, <laughs> it was cool. It was very yeah. It's it's a good feeling. So, 
So what are we? Well, are we talking dog training? What are, What are we talking here? What What are we talking? Hunting dogs? What's going well, on? Let me Let me give you a little brief overview here. So I've been uh, apprenticing for Mr. Rick McConico at Old Oak Kennels um, in Blooming Prairie, Minnesota, for about six months now, and it's, it's going pretty good. But where I really started to shine was about three or four months ago when he started bringing in the service dogs. These were predominantly Labrador retrievers and one golden. They all trained up very, very well. And it, I don't know so much if it was the purpose behind the dog because, you know, I love to hunt. I love retrievers. It's, you know, it's a good game. Um, you know, even the competition side, that's still fairly exciting to me. That definitely holds my interest. But, um, you know, I like everybody else, I've got my own stuff going on. So um, if I could, if I could find, um, you know, I don't want to be crass, but if I could find a tool to help myself and then help somebody else, you know, I'm, I'm definitely all about that. And um, circumstance is as such where, you know, I'm able to help, a, you know, my first local family. So, cool. Um, yeah, that's pretty exciting. Um, so getting back to it, um, uh, started six months ago um, with basic basic obedience, heel sit here, um, swing into heel, that type of thing. And then, um, you know, I haven't really finished, uh, started gun dog completely without Rick's help. You know, all the credit goes to Rick on this one. I'm telling you, um, just an awesome, outstanding guy. He's a difficult guy to get to know, but I got to tell you, and I think you know this from working, um, with your construction job, those guys are the guys you need to, you know, befriend because they're some of the most stand up dudes on this planet. Oh, for sure. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so, yeah, anyhow, um, under his tutelage, um, I feel that I'm, you know, come into my own in the service dog world. So um, it differs a little bit from the retrievers. Um, for example, healing at right or left side, um, you know, in, in the hunting retriever world, you know, that, that is, that is somewhat common to have an ambidextrous heel. Uh, There is use for it, but going out into, going out into a crowded place for me personally, it it would be nice. You know, if I want to put myself next to a wall for my own, you know, perceived security reasons, I could put my dog to the right and, you know, feel secure. If I want to put my dog, let her go out in front of me, you know, not necessarily at a traditional heel and, you know, I've get I've got a sense of like a blocking. If I want to go into a restaurant and I can, you know, tuck her underneath the table, boom, she goes under. Um, if I drop my keys, there you go, fetch, pick it up. Um, and it's my understanding, and I'm not a lawyer, but I believe <laughs> I believe I've read this properly. Um, that if I walk into a Walmart and I've got my dog on a, I believe it has to be on a leash. I, I, don't quote me on that one, but they cannot ask you what your disability is. They can only ask you what services that dog provide. And I believe they may ask you um, to have that dog perform that. But, hmm. you know, it's, 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 pretty le- it's pretty legit. Yeah, I mean, but there's a lot of, like, um, emotional support animals, too, though. Like, how would you demonstrate yeah. that? Like, <laughs> like well, and, it's doing yeah. its job. It's here. It's keeping me comfort. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah. And, and that's the thing. So I'm, I'm definitely not shitting on anybody's emotional support animals because a lot of, a lot of people have a great deal of anxiety. What I, if there were any advice that I could give to someone, it would be to teach that dog a, uh, 
uh, demonstrable task. So they can go out in public, take it anywhere. Boom. Okay. There's a task. Mm, sure. Um, I get, you that. know, Oh, I, I was definitely not shitting on emotional sport. Animals, oh, I, I would, that was not, no, yeah. nobody here was nobody oh, yeah. here. That, was. That, that was not what I was. My point was, it's like, if somebody, first of all, if you're the kind of person that's like, I need you to prove that that's a support animal. First of all, you're a dick. So, yeah. Um, well, there is a caveat to that. There is a caveat to that. If um, someone with legitimate needs comes in with a dog that is clicking and popping, you know, and, you know, they're they're doing everything they need to do and they're acting properly, they're providing service to that person. And somebody comes in with a, a dog that is not um, acting properly and they are interfering with that other dog. Um, now we got a problem, Jack. Oh, and sure, I, yeah. then, then I will be the guy to go over and say, Hey, you know, what's, you know, what, what are you doing? Can you at least put a leash on that thing? Put it in the shopping cart, you know? Yeah. Well, that, I mean, that just comes down to good dog ownership, honestly. I mean, how often do you see that just uh, in the dog park or around a lake or something like, <sighs> unfortunately, there's a, a crap ton of dog owners that put zero training into their dogs whatsoever well and to be to be fair to the great majority of the people um there's there's ignorance and it doesn't mean stupidity it's just a lack of knowledge and it's it's not even it's not even a desire it's, excuse me it's not from a desire a lack of desire to learn it's just they don't know how to get started it's just i'd say in most cases it's as simple as that and that's why i believe there are so many places to have your dog trained well, there's a full spectrum of, of uh, I say interest, but I, I, I see what you're saying, but I think there's a lot of people that just get a dog and don't, I mean, they are ignorant, but they don't even think, it's not like they don't know where to go to start. They just don't, they're just like, I got a dog, it's a pet, and they don't, and, that, and that's where it ends. Like, oh, yeah. I mean, and they're just, you know, terrible dog owners. I mean, the dogs don't listen. I hear, hear it all the time. If you go anywhere, and when they're just, yelling the dog's name and telling it no or telling it here or come or whatever the thing is and obviously the dog is not doing it yeah <laughs> it just loses my mind because i just i'm just like well, yeah go, say it a 14th time i'm sure the 14th time will be when it does it like oh yeah oh my god yeah don't don't walk over and grab it by the collar and take control don't do that oh it drives me nuts that's generally why i don't like to hunt with dogs like when i hear that somebody's like, oh, someone's hunting with us. He wants to know if he can bring his dog. And I was like, Ugh. Yeah. Now, I have hunted over some really good dogs, but I have hunted over, I shouldn't say bad dogs. I have hunted with terrible dog handlers in the past. Yeah. That there's and that's all they do is they sit there and they yell at their dog. The dog can't stay still. They yell at their dog. The dog breaks early. The dog whatever swim around the decoys. Do whatever the thing is, and they're trying to get it back and it's not listening. It's like this is not why I go out and hunt. This is not why I'm sitting in it. If if you have a dog and it's not that trained, you really need to hunt either solo or with somebody that knows what what they're getting themselves into. Oh, definitely, definitely, and I mean, really, if you're looking to hunt with a dog, at at least bone up on some basic obedience, at very least. I mean, at very minimum, because if you're going out into a swamp or even a cornfield, you take a shot, and you don't even know if that 
first of all, that dog hasn't been introduced to a gun. Right. Yeah, if yeah. you haven't walked it at heel, it hasn't been introduced properly to a gun. So you're you're running probably a pretty high risk that that puppy's going to bolt. And since <coughs> Dale's choking on his catfish logger, <coughs> I muted okay, myself. <coughs> Keep going. Okay, I'm muted. Anyhow. <coughs> Anyhow, oh. um, introduce that um, introduce that dog to a gun for the first time in the field. That's definitely the wrong way to go about it, especially if it doesn't understand the basic obedience. I mean, even if it has basic obedience, it still needs to be properly introduced to a firearm. And that's, you know, it, it's all a process. And I, I really don't want to get too far deep into the weeds on building a waterfall dog or anything like that. I, I really... It would be an honor for me to have uh, you have Rick on as a guest. That, oh, that would, would be uh, cool. Oh, dude, that would that would make my day. I, I just I'd love to sit and just listen to that. Public service announcement: Don't breathe beer. <laughs> <coughs> it is meant to be swallowed, not inhaled. Oh my gosh! Did you win the boat? Uh no, no, not yet. Okay. No. Well, maybe the next one. It's like Willy Wonka. Maybe. <laughs> Anyhow, we'll see. I. I could I could delve a little I could delve a little more into the service dog portion, or we could talk more about uh, waterfowling in general. Yeah, no, go get finished. Your, I didn't mean to derail you. No, dude, you're good. On I the, just on the uh, service dog thing. So, oh no, dude, you're good. But um, like how no, did there's... you how did you get into it? Like how did like honestly, bud, it, it started with the apprenticeship. Well, no, it actually didn't even start with the apprenticeship. It really started with um, me going out there and volunteering three years ago. I literally went out there hat in hand. I said, sir, uh, my name's Ethan Hansen. Um, I was wondering if you had a job for me throwing ducks, anything. And he said, well, you know, I'm, I'm full up. And I said, well, I'll volunteer. Um, he said, well, I'll come back tomorrow. And I just said, you know, I, I'll need a little bit of flexible hours. I just, just got some stuff going. Yeah, that's all right. So there's a there's a pro trainer up from Mississippi. He leases ground um, at Old Oak, and you know he's a wonderful gentleman as well, excellent trainer. And he hired me as a bird boy. And Mr. McConico saw that I was fairly adept and knew what I was doing, uh, throwing a duck. And uh, the next year he hired me on as a bird boy, and uh, you know some help around the kennel, you know kind of the shit jobs. But that's that's what you do. And I'd say. What was it? The third year, same type of deal. And then uh, this year he approached me about uh, learning how to train dogs. So basically the apprenticeship. I spent the whole winter inside his, his shed, and he just sat with me. And we just go through dog after dog after dog. And it's, you know, very meticulous. You know, we'd start, heel, sit here. You know, it's just you know, repetition. Okay. Where are you at with this dog? Okay. Did you see what you just did there? And he'd, he'd correct me and show me and it's, mm. you know, so it's, it, it took, it took a lot for me to get where I'm at now, but I'm still very new. Cool. If that makes sense. Yeah. Well, oh, no, totally. Yeah. That's awesome, dude. Um, but the service dog thing, um, I did not expect that whatsoever. I, I did not know that uh, Mr. McConico would be taking on service dogs, let alone me handling them or touching them at all. Um, 
so that was kind of that was kind of mind blowing. I think they I think they came along. My the first ones that I touched came along. Um, I want to say March of this year. The first one I the first one I had hands on his name was Zephyr, and the reason why he stuck out to me is he's one of the more intelligent dogs that I've um, encountered so far. I don't have a whole lot of dogs under my belt yet, but um, he came. He's um, of one of Rick's, well, he's off of one of Rick's lineages, um, the number one British dog in the country at the time, uh, Magnum. Um, he's still got plenty of semen on him. He's he's just an outstanding dog, and um, some Magnum, Magnum dogs. I think the top three uh, dogs in the shed world right now are Magnum offspring. They're just, they're just killing it. And it just so happened that the very first, um, service dog that I was responsible for was a Magnum grandson, I believe. And, you know, he's just a really, really kind and gentle, just wants to be with you, wants to please. And he really made it easy on me. And that was a, he was, he was a real good first dog to kind of get going on. Um, you know, picking keys up, picking a wallet up, um, you know, it's basically a scaled-down version of giving casts. So what I mean by that is we could set up a couple um, beds, you know, um, one bed to the left, one bed to the right, maybe seven yards between them. Just It's just an arbitrary number. I didn't pace them off. And put the dog in the middle. Cast to the right, he'll go right. Cast to the left, he'll go left. I'm, I'm cutting out some stuff here. Sure. Well, and you, you use the term bed. What do you mean by bed? Well, a dog bed. So you have like an elevated okay. dog bed, gotcha. like with four posts. Yep. I'm actually looking Follow at one right now. Yeah. Um, so then you use that to make it more comfortable for them, and they have a designated area, something that they're focused on, something that they recognize. So once you line them up and you give them the command to place, boom, they recognize it, they see it, boom, boom, boom. And so they're – you know, it just it makes the whole process easier on them. So then there's also the down command. You could do lay down. I mean, dogs dogs can develop a vocabulary, I think, of like, I think it's like 21 words. It's It, it amazed me when I found it out. I mean, you look at them, you think, okay, well, there's, there's some intelligence there. They can understand context sometimes and things like that. But there there's a lot to them. But, uh, yeah. Oh, for sure. So it's, it's, uh, there, there's a lot to it. There's a lot to it. And, um, there's, there's a lot of intricacies and, you know, depending on the needs of the person, for example, um, I personally have uh, PTSD from various things. Um, I've been diagnosed with uh, a mood disorder and a little bit of depression. So what I have with my dog, um, first of all, I needed to establish a bond um, that, in my opinion, should really go without saying because that dog needs to be cued into you uh, emotionally. It needs to be focused on you. And it needs to know when you're not right. Um, for example, last night, um, I sleep on my bathroom floor. That's about the only way I can get sleep. Um, I had a hallucination. And I kind of let it go. I let it pass. I had a second one. And, uh, you know, I'm not trying to glorify any curse words here, but 
I lightly just said to myself, said, fuck. <laughs> you can, and, you, have you listened to this show before? <laughs> not that much. I'm sorry, Dale. <laughs> no, I'm just saying. Like, <laughs> you, you could swear. You don't have to apologize for swearing. Like, yeah, I get that. Had, I get that. I've had six-hour flight companions that are pretty much F every other word. So, yeah, just, you know. Anyhow, anyhow, I had the, I had the dog, I had the dog laying in our, our regular bed with my wife and, uh, my dog heard that she hopped right down, laid right next to me. Um, that's not anything that I prompted her to do. That's not anything that there was no formal training to do anything like that. I just say that to illustrate, um, what can be achieved just simply through a bond, you know? It's the idea of positive reinforcement, catching more flies with honey type of thing. Sure. Um, another thing. So um, what you'll get with um, some people with um, borderline personality disorder, like there'll be self-harm or something like that, but nothing too self-destructive. Like they might be hitting themselves. Someone or a dog could see that. Their dog could see that and come up and intervene. They, they could nudge them. Well, a trainer can get a dog to cue in on that and intervene with them, but it's my opinion that the work begins with the owner after the formal trainings begin after the formal training is finished, hmm. because that bond needs to be reestablished, if not established from the ground up. If that makes any sense at all. No, it totally makes sense. So you get that you get that bond and then you start working together as a team and you already have that formal background of training. It understands the commands. And once that bond happens, that you know it solidifies everything on the back end. Um, it's hard to it's hard to have that bond on the front end of things um, with the service dogs, from my point of view, because you know it's you have your average family, you know, they, they want to bond with the puppy and you know, that's, that's good. I, I don't want to touch one until it's like six, seven months, you know, and, and that's to me, that's about the right age because they're not going to be developing a bad habit. Mm -hmm. You know, you get them in at, you know, two years old, that's, they've had time to smoke a pack of cools a day, you know? <laughs> so it's it's nice it's nice to have a fresh slate it's nice to it's nice to have that lump of clay and to treat it right and to sh to show it that hey you know i'm feeding you i'm giving you water and you know everything's everything's cool here you know and a lot of a lot of it you know is the dog's personality as well does it have a willingness to please does it give a crap about you you know, if, if it doesn't, then I'm sad to say, but there's only so much that that dog's going to be able to do for you. Well, excuse me. It's only so much that dog is going to be willing to do. So it's, dogs are willing to do a lot. <laughs> well, it, well, that, that is true. Dogs, some dogs are willing to do a lot for you, but you'll also run into different personalities. Just like you and I have two different personalities where there's going to be those two circles then they have that intersecting. Yes. There's, there's always going to be those two different personalities yeah, and yeah. you know, it's, and you know, there's, you can work around things and stuff like that, but you know, there's, there's always, there's always going to be that one dog that, you know, maybe needs to be repurposed to someone else for a different, a different task. 
you know, if, if there's a guy in a wheelchair who needs to have his, his keys or a cell phone picked up and there's an unmotivated um, dog, well, maybe she just needs to go to somebody who has really high anxiety, but she's happy to heal on both sides or block, you know, for that, for that lady, you know, so she can go into Walmart and get her fucking groceries. You know what I mean? Right. Like I, I, again, I'm sorry to swear. I'm just really passionate. (laughs) I'm going to swear at you if you keep apologizing for swearing. Well, then we're going to have a fight over the phone, my friend. Let's fucking go, bro. Okay. It'll be a sit down (laughs) fist fight. Uh, (laughs) No, man. But like, it's just, it's, it's nothing against like, it's nothing against the hunting retriever world. I, I have ambitions to build a handling dog one day under, uh, Rick's tutelage and, um, you know, I'm, I'm working, I'm working on that, but this is, this is a passion project for me and I'm, I've got more or less a little hobby business going, Cool. You know, keep her off the books and just help as many people as I can one dog at a time, you know? Um, so what does that look like? Are you, are, are you just doing like obedience training or are you doing specifically like service dog training for people? Well, for example, um, my wife, uh, works at Hormel, uh, she works at Hormel Corporate for the Xerox Corporation and the, the head chef for the food service people. So this isn't like this isn't like a cafeteria lunch line like he trained under Wolfgang Puck and all this other stuff. He got kicked out of a country like he's he's legit. Just to serve uh, spam? No, dude, oh, this crazy. ain't spam. Oh, bro, <laughs> this ain't spam. Did you ever Hormel, have it? It's Hormel, man. You ever have it? What, spam? Yeah. Yeah, I've had spam. Of course I've had Don't talk spam. shit about spam, bro. <laughs> Dude, I'm, I'm a fourth-generation hormone worker. Do you know that? <laughs> I did not know that. Do you know that my grandfather was the union president leading up to the strike? I, did, I didn't know there was a strike. I know yes, nothing, sir. I know nothing about spam. I haven't been to the spam museum. I know Hawaiians are crazy about it. I've had it. Uh, that's, the, all, that's all I can really say about it. The Hawaiians love us, yeah. The yeah, Hawaiians are crazy about their spam. Yeah, dude. If it wasn't for Hawaiians, we'd be having uh my well, we wouldn't be having a rough time because uh Americans love bacon, so fried spam sandwiches. Yeah, good, good. What oh yeah, anyhow, so uh <laughs> <laughs> Damn, you you derailing son of a bitch. This is what I do. That's what anyhow, I do. so um she uh she got asked what I was doing and uh he she told him I'm I'm apprenticing out at Old Oak and this gentleman says, well, I kind of got a wild dog on, on my hands. You know, would he train her? And it was one of those situations where I wanted to do it. He wanted it. And she was caught in the middle. And it was like, well, what did he say? And then she goes back to him and he's like, well, what did he say? So we're both pretty <laughs> yeah, motivated. Yeah. And But the the part that really fuels my fire on this is um, they have a they have a, a daughter and uh, she has she has a very specific need of um, um, uh, they need a, a dog to detect seizures mm. so once so once we once we get this dog obedient uh, Rick is going to hook me up with um, a very professional trainer in the southern United States who has a deep history of doing this and it's my hope that the owners will send her down there. And I would also like to, you know, get some instruction, you know, on this so I could, you know, do this more in house, 
you know, the seizure, yeah. the seizure detection. Right. Because I, because like I said, I can do the, I can do the uh, PTSD symptom detection and the, the other physical symptoms, but you know, I, I really, I'm not going to gamble on this one. You know, I'll, I'll be damned because she's, she's four months old and I'm not gonna, I mean, I'll, I'll take a personal loss on this one. Well, you know, she's getting her dog. to be such a tough thing to do because it's not like, um, you can set up a seizure. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. um, to train the dog to do that, it, it has to happen, you know, um, which you hope it never happens, but obviously they, we, we it wouldn't be training a dog if it, if it wasn't a uh, regular occurrence, unfortunately. Um, but yeah, it's not like you can go out and be like, okay, let's put some pigeons in a box and teach this dog how to flush. Yeah. You know, like you're waiting yeah. for a training moment, if you will, a yeah. very scary training moment. So it's a very unique situation for sure. As Obama would call it a teachable moment. <laughs> it's a teachable moment. And yeah. you have to be patient. And kind, got to, and just trust trust the system. <laughs> let it do let it do what it does. But but yeah, I could I could if I had to take a wild guess, I would assume that um, somebody would imitate or or replicate or act as if they were having having one. Mm, okay, you know. Um, that, that would be about the only thing I could, I could only, I could only guess because ethically, um, as humans, we couldn't subject, we couldn't subject someone. Right. To that, You're not going to you know? try to induce a seizure for the sake of training. That's kind of my point. It's like, that's gotta be, a, uh, yeah, that's gotta be a unique challenge for sure. Um, yeah, you're, you're robbing Peter to pay Paul. And what does, what in that moment, what does, what does that dog do? Well, um, I, I believe ideally they would bark or you could tailor, you could tailor it to, um, I envision that. So they're, you know, they're alerting somebody else that this is yes. happening. Okay. Yes. Um, from what I've, from what I've read on this, you're selecting a dog that normally wouldn't bark. You're selecting a dog that would be rather quiet and, you know, then you're, you're encouraging it to just light up the house. Gotcha. Um, then you're you're reinforcing it with you can reinforce it with treats. I'm I'm not a huge proponent of it, um, just from the obedience standpoint. Like it's so ingrained in my mind, um, you know, with a physical correction, but a proper physical correction. I'm not talking about beating a dog or being unfair to it or anything right, like that. Right. Because you know, dogs and people, you know, they're violent. They communicate through violence. You know, a dog, they, they don't have a language other than body and violence. Mm -hmm. If you think about it, they're a pack animal and that's how it is. And humans are even nastier. You know, we have language, we have currency and we use extortion. Right. You know, we're the, we're the nastiest creatures on this planet. If you think about it. Right. Manipulate. Yeah. yeah. Oh, we're gross. Yeah. No, but yeah, that, uh, ideally, Ideally, um, depending on depending on what the owners would, how they want the dog to alert, you know, it, it could light the house up with some barking, or it could bark all the way to you know someone of authority, a parent's room, a sibling's room, somebody's who's been designated, or you know, could maybe trip a switch, or it, there there's a lot of possibilities out there. Sure, there's a lot of possibilities out there, but uh, that's pretty cool. 
Yeah. That's, yeah. that's awesome. Well, I'm glad that you found something that is that I, I, I can hear it in your voice. Like this is something you're very passionate about. It gives you purpose, you know, with, with your, the disabilities that you have. Um, yep. I think that's an, that's, I think that's an important thing for you to yep. have as well. So um, I'm very, uh, very happy and relieved to hear that. Dude, I appreciate that. Just let me, let me put a plug in at the end. But, <laughs> yeah, plug it anytime. Plug it now and plug it again at the end. All right. Well, I'll tell you what. Shout out to uh, Rick McConico, Old Oak Retrievers and Kennels at uh, 612-269-1194. And then uh, my number is 507-589-5040. I'll make your dog obedient, and I will, you know, train you a service dog. Train it to not. Whatever choke on beer and bring you bud light Ooh, it'll stay away from bud light <laughs> i'll try uh, to make it apolitical maybe it'll vote for you there you go let's yeah. uh so let's talk the other thing we were uh, talking about uh on the phone a while back was uh, you had some opinions on how hunting has changed in the rochester area so let's let's talk goose hunting for a little bit Okay, good. Yeah, good deal. I'm looking. I'm looking at all my full bodies, my shells, my silhouettes. I got shit stacked everywhere, man. That's doesn't every waterfowler. <laughs> oh, dude, oh, I'd hope so. If they have any respect for themselves, yeah. <laughs> right, right, dude. Yeah. Well, so I mean, we can take a look at. Let's start in the Austin area. I cut my teeth in uh, 2005, not too far from where I live. I live in Lyle, Lyle right now. For those of you who don't know, I'm right on the Iowa border. I could uh, bounce a tennis ball and it probably bounce five, six times, but I'd hit Iowa. So when, uh, when the wind blows from the South, I get uh, 10% disability, <laughs> you know? So, but here, here's the thing. Um, it used to be growing up. Um, we'd get about five to 6,000 cacklers, like true actual cacklers. And they'd come in around Halloween and anybody who's listening has hunted Austin longer than me. You've probably seen a lot more little geese than I have show up around that time. Um, you know, we used to see giants, quite a few giants roll in. Um, I wouldn't say about that time. They would, there would be a few that would show up with the cacklers, but not too many. But then you'd see not a shit ton, but you'd see several thousand. You know, I, we've had the EPPs for some time. Then things started changing. I wouldn't, I couldn't tell you if it's weather. I didn't keep a dang logbook. I'm not a damn nerd. Um, <laughs> you know, if anybody keeps a logbook, that's fine, whatever. But uh, I, I, I don't have time for that. Um, I'm, I'm too busy reloading my gun. Yeah, you don't, you don't, you don't make time for that. I've, I've, sorry, here's, a, here's another tangent I'm going to go down. Do I've, it. I've gotten really, um, irritated when i hear people say i don't have time i want to do this but i don't have time i'd like to do this but i don't have time yes you do you just don't choose to use your time that way because every single person at some point has wasted an evening away just fucking off on their phone or going to the bar or doing whatever and all that time you could have been doing this thing that you just told me that you want to do but you don't have time so it's not that you don't have time so you choose to not spend your spare time doing that thing. 
you just motivated me like the first time I watched Pumping Iron. I want to go do two days in the weight room. <laughs> well, I mean, it's true, and and honestly, when I when I it say is. that, I say it more for myself than anything else. Where I'm like, oh, I want to do that, but I don't have time. And it's like I know that I have fucked off for two hours on my phone, you know, before. Oh, hundred percent. Like, so it's like. I can't. I gotta be honest with myself. Like, I'm not gonna cry and be like, "Oh, I don't have time to do this." Yeah, I do. I just don't have the personal discipline to hold myself accountable and and do that thing that I claim I want to do. But clearly, I don't want to do it bad enough, or I would carve out time to do it. I would make it a priority. Let me rephrase that. Crack about the logbook. I never found it necessary. I never thought that a, a, my compilation of my information was going to make a difference from year to year. Hmm. I never did. I still don't. And any anybody who thinks they're going to change the world with it, more power to you. If you're killing more birds consistently due to a logbook, keep it up. Like, 100% keep it up. If it, that's what's working, do it. It might make you a better hunter, but honestly what it probably is is just you. that's the thing that you like, and you just like to immerse yourself in it and everything about hunting and goose hunting and whatever. And so writing – a logbook and then reading logbook is just you indulging in your passion. So yeah, maybe it makes you a better hunter. Maybe it doesn't. Maybe it's a, a net neutral. Who cares? But I guarantee you, the person that does that enjoys doing that. So oh yeah, knock yourself out. Well yeah, and I mean that's also a nuance that we find ourselves in as waterfowl hunters. For example, I'm a collector. I'm working on a, a waterfowl mount collection. Like, I mean, that's, that's fairly common. Mm -hmm. I'm working on a, a decoy collection. That's pretty common. Yeah. You know, that's just what waterfall hunters do. They do. And they're very, they're one of the most obsessive, um, sex of, of hunting. Like, like the, the, the more so than just about anything. Like the waterfall hunters are a different breed. <laughs> they obsess about this stuff. And and I, I throw myself in that mix, but yep. it's also evident too. Like when you go to a uh, whether it's a Facebook page or back in the day when you used to have web forms and somebody, and almost inevitably it was generally a relatively new hunter, whether that be a kid or an adult onset hunter, would ask a question that has already been asked eight zillion times, and then people jump their ass for it, you know. But it's like they just want to talk about it. Like it's not even, it's not even so much about getting the answer. It's just, it's an icebreaker and they just want to talk about it. And if I could say anything, it's like when you as a, not you, but you and as a general public, if you're part of these pages and you see that simple thing and again, it goes into that, like what we talked earlier, you know, where the negative, the recreational outrage thing kicks in. You want that little endorphin dump. Mm -hmm. try to resist jumping down that person's throat because all they're really doing is being excited about waterfall hunting. And so you share that. So just indulge them or don't comment or scroll, have some personal discipline, you know, and just yeah, be happy that somebody else is as excited about duck and goose hunting as you are. Yeah. Well, even even have enough self-respect and dignity and be like those old guys, you know what I mean? Like, I, I, I can't say that I was on the really early days of the Avery Forum, but I, I'd say I was back in there in 05. If you guys want to go back to the archives of the forums and want to be nerds, you can look that up. Um, same thing with Minnesota Waterfowl, same thing with uh, Duck and Goose Hunting Chat. Um, you can go back there and you can see, like, the what I call them the old breed. 
Yeah. Um, they weren't pulling any of those shenanigans because they were on, they were on the forum for the same reason that those new guys were on there to just talk about duck hunting and goose hunting. And half the time they were like t- untangling the web of shit and hemming up the dudes who were like jumping down the throats of the other dudes. Well, I saw it. A f- I saw it a little bit. I'm in a sort of waller faller for sure. Um, that's what most of my hunting buddies, like my longtime hunting buddies, I met on Minnesota waterfowler. So, yeah. um, but we would see them, you know, they would pin certain posts, but somebody would ask a question. There's always be one, one or two people and like, just do a search, man. This has been talked to already. It's talked about already. It's like, just shut up and answer the question or don't like, yeah. it doesn't cost you anything. Just scroll on by. Like the fact that you had to take time to type out an angry message like that, yeah. that cost you time. Well, in three ounces of sweat. Yeah, you could have avoided that by just ignoring it. <laughs> yeah, that that ignoring it was actually free, but you yeah. took time. You spent time in typing out a response. Well, and the thing was, is he went on there because he had a topic he wanted to research. Mm-hmm. He wanted to see. Yeah, and, and how I, would he yeah. like it if we went and shit on his stuff? Exactly, he'd be well, on there crying. And yeah, unless you're the end all duck and goose hunter there's somebody out there that thinks your question is stupid because they learned the answer to that 20 years ago or whatever you know what i mean i'm just throwing it yeah. arbitrary um but but in that example see, out there but like yeah everybody's on a different path on on their hunting journey and a different yeah. level of experience yeah and and i think we've all been there like to some point you know as humans we've all we've all experienced jealousy and if you if you haven't experienced jealousy to anybody listening you need a psychiatrist i don't like, know like you straight up need a psychiatrist if you haven't felt it one iota in some form or fashion in your life even a little bit yeah i'm not a naturally jealous person and but i like to use the word envious Okay, I like, that's fair. I like envious because I feel like it's a more positive thing. Like if yeah. I'm sitting at my desk and I'm mired in work or whatever, and I, you know, cross my feed comes a, a pile pick of somebody just having the time of their life and they just put 200 snow geese in the dirt in North Dakota. I'm not jealous. I'm envious because yeah. I, I'm now living vicariously through you, so wishing that was me. I have no malice behind it. I have no, yeah. like, you know, like taking that from them doesn't then give it to me, which I feel that's more jealousy. Like jealousy to me is more of like a negative emotion, you know? Yeah. Whereas like you can be envious of somebody and actually use that as a motivator. Like I can be like, you know what? I haven't been to North Dakota in a while. I need to look at my schedule and make a plan, you know? Like, well, let's, let's circle back to small town, Minnesota. And let me, I'm going to tell you how that ties in. All right, do it. So I was hunting the same, same little field. Anybody who listened to this, you know, knows me, anything like that. They know what I'm talking about. I got shit on for not going out and scouting. It was a great traffic spot, you know, whatever. And, uh, there were some older guys who had the field just right outside of town. You know, they, they'd help me out. They'd give me tips and stuff like that. To me, they were, they were of the old breed. Like they were, they were really cool. But eventually those, those types of guys either quit hunting or I don't want to say died off, but they just kind of did other stuff. You know, they got too old to do it, you know? Mm -hmm. And then now with this social media thing, and then with the, let's say, let's just call it the hormones of youth. Let's call it the hormones of youth. And then, um, the stereotypical beginning 
um, waterfowl journey. Everybody's fighting for a field. Everybody's uh, racing to get to the landowner. And I don't have a problem with racing to get to the landowner. But when we as fellow waterfowlers are shitting on each other, when we as fellow waterfowlers are purposely rutting up fields and blaming it on somebody else, that's a problem. Because now we're destroying someone else's land at the expense of two people, maybe even three or four. You know, we're not taking accountability for our actions as a whole. You know, we're leaving trash, whether intentionally or not. We're not being men when we're actually, you know what I mean? Like, when we're, when we're destroying property, we're not going back and saying, hey, sir, how can I make restitution? Yeah, I mean, there is a lot of FOMO in, like, in waterfowling, more so than yeah. anything else. You know, it's like... Uh, if somebody else gets that field, it's not like, well, let's just keep looking. Let's find a better field. It's just like, you missed out. They they messed up my hunt. They they stole some joy for me. It's like, no, that's really that's really not how it goes, you know? But Yeah. Oh, it shouldn't. Right. It shouldn't. But I mean that that's how it goes in a lot of a lot of people's minds and that can be applied to business. That can be applied oh, sure. to just yeah. about anything. Yeah, for sure. And it's it's unhealthy and I'd really I wish more people were envious. Yes, agreed. And and a lot of times, you know, when it comes to like um, permissions and that, uh, it just pays. You know, if two if you you see two people scouting out the same field and it's the only field with action in the area, you might as well just go introduce yourself. Yeah. You know, uh, is it a guarantee that they'll be cool and hunt with you? No, but it's it's actually. You know, as long as the parties aren't too big, chances are that actually will work out that way. And you might just meet a few new hunting buddies. And you've yeah. grown your network. So now you can just be like, hey, I'm going to go scout over here. I'm going to go scout over there. What are you seeing? What are you seeing? You know, you can share some information. It's just going to – that's going to help more so than, like, you're saying, like, cut them off or do something dirty to, you know, try to spoil it from them or whatever. It's like that's not going to help any of you. Because I've I've asked for permissions on field before. And the reason they don't give permission is because it causes fights. Oh yeah, I've I've heard I've heard rumor of a literal fist fight being caused, and this is all hearsay. I can't trust the source, but you know, take it for what it's worth. It's uh, you know, it's it's a nightmare down here. Yeah, I haven't heard anything about any fist fights, but like I've personally had a farmer say, "No, we don't let anybody hunt anymore. We used to, but um, you know, we would give permission to." multiple people and then they would get into a fight and i'm just he's like i don't want to deal with it so we just we just decided it's we're just nobody's hunting it's like well, well and that's you guys yeah. sure fix that way to go boys well and that's that's what it is i mean you can't just be men about it mm-hmm. you know one of you either push on or be or take, friends or... or take the l i mean yeah let, let's let's say you know Let's say you're out scouting, you find this field, there's geese in it, you roll up and you ask the the, the landowner, and he's like, yeah, go ahead. And maybe you, it slipped your mind or you didn't think to ask about it and he didn't volunteer that information that he already gave permission to somebody else too. Yeah. You know, because there, there are those landowners out there that don't care either. They give permission to everybody. Yep. So you do all your work. You load, you get up, you load your decoys, whatever, you get there, and all of a sudden there's another truck in the field. No. You could be a dick, and you could set up in the same field opposite of him or whatever and, and mm-hmm. just ruin each other's hunts. Or you can go talk to him, 
see if you can combine forces. And if you're not comfortable with that, and you don't have a plan B, take the L. Go, go to the cafe, get some breakfast, and then go fishing instead that day. Or scout, oh, yeah. or scout that morning for the next morning. You know, you know, everybody thinks that the scouting needs to happen the night before. Well, some of your best scouting can happen in the morning when the birds are actually on that schedule. See where they're coming from. See where they're going. Yeah. Watch that. Watch those guys hunt. See what those birds do when they get shot at. Where do they go? What do they well, do? And, and don't be honking your horn when there's incoming birds for those yeah, guys. Don't don't exactly. be putting your truck in between the fucking approach and them. You know, keep a respectful distance. If you have to use binoculars, use binoculars, but don't be screwing around with their hunt. Exactly. That's that goes back to that FOMO thing. Like just don't yeah. don't give into it. Like if it didn't work out for you and that was your only plan, just take the L, man, because by ruining their hunt, it's not giving you a good hunt. That's not how that works. Yeah. Like I know misery loves company, but it's not that's not a good system. <laughs> it's no. Not. It's just it's just not. So anyhow but back in uh the mid 2000s it you know it'd be it, it was i wouldn't say it was easy for me but you know when when you got a two bird limit and you don't have a whole lot of hunting pressure three dozen decoys in a snow-covered field you can run traffic mm-hmm. you know so it's you know you're learning how to call it's the hide it doesn't have to be that that sexy because number one, I didn't know what the hell I was doing. The birds weren't that pressured, and what the hell? Let's just hide in the decoys and throw you. That worked more times than not. And then, you know, decoy spread started getting a little bit bigger. And um, the X, the X um, for this area has always really been a popular hunting method. And you know, that's it is that's a solid way to hunt. But I've I've always liked the challenge of traffic, and I've always got shit on for it. But I don't care because I'm doing me. I'm letting my freak flag fly. <laughs> and But people don't like it, and I'll tell you why. It's hard work. Yeah. People don't like to work. People like to roll up, throw decoys, let them fall as they may, stubble the blind in, you know, however, or if they want to hide, you know, you know, do their thing. But, uh, you know, it, they want to roll up and just have geese in their face. They don't want to practice their calling. And if they do, they don't want to practice it very much. Or if they want to practice it very much, they also want to drink beer or they want to do something else. They don't want to commit to it. Well, if calling's not the issue, they don't want to scout. You know, they'd rather be doing those other things. Well, if that's not the issue, then there's something else and there's something else and there's something else. So I just found, I found myself having a smaller and smaller hunting friend group. And, you know, here I am just, alone and unafraid you know i wasn't grinding the hell out of them but i i always made opportunity you know whether that was walking in um as many floater decoys as i could as far away from anybody else as i can on public land and killing as many ducks as i can or geese and going home whether that's walking into a muddy field with as many decoys full bodies as i can you know same same type of shit you know landowner relations giving them a gift every year, mm-hmm. you know, stopping in and talking to them when I can offering to do yard work. I mean, where the hell did that go? I mean, kids don't want to work. Kids don't want to work. They, there's they some, want stuff for free. There's some truth to that. And it's, and it's not that I'm old. I, I'm not even middle age yet. I, what, what's middle age? 70. <laughs> <laughs> I wish. It's got to be like 40, right? <laughs> yeah, I think 40 is generally what people consider middle age. 
Damn. So in five years, you're going to be able to legally order a senior citizen's breakfast. I mean, discounts, that's all I have to look forward to at this point. And boner pills, bro. I got you. Oh, no, I'm good. Don't need those yet. I do. <laughs> I got nerve. I, I think, dude, no, in all serious though, I, I got like, I got like six of the seven markers for like autonomic neuropathy. So I, I just, I make do with what I can, you know, tie a stick to it, whatever. <laughs> you know, depends on which way the wind's blowing. Sure. Sure. You no, know, gotta have a positive attitude. That's you know, right. life gives, That's life right. gives you lemons. You just throw them away and you take the pill. <laughs> I'm okay with it. Uh, hey, you gotta, you gotta but adapt it, and overcome. Yeah, but anyway, like, you know, it's I I don't I don't know if there was a year when the cackler stopped showing up. I I can't put my finger on it, but it just seemed like it it was like a steady decline, and then they just really didn't. Um, and now I see you know a few little geese mixed in with you know the EPPs, but for our county, I feel like we still have we still have hybrids. I still feel like we have we still have very big, beefy, medium-sized geese, and I could send you pictures to show you what I mean. Like, they're not giants, but they're they're big, beefy bastards. Mm -hmm. And uh, we were talking offline about the migration map mm -hmm. of Minnesota. Mm -hmm. um, if anybody wants to do any research, you know, take a look at that. You guys can uh, do your own research and try to figure out why um, the southern Minnesota geese only fly just a little ways into northern Iowa and don't really migrate that far. You guys figure that out on yourselves and write back. That's your homework. They don't have to. They got open water. A lot. I mean, there's always – well, there's some geese that just fly to the Gulf or Texas or Arkansas or whatever because that's what they do. And then you got those like cold hardy birds that only move south when they have to. Sure. And if they sure. have food and they have water, they will ride out thirty below zero right there in Rochester or right there in St. Paul. You know, like as long as they got relatively, you know, um not too deep of snow, like they can find again, like if they can fly out in those fields of Rosemont there and coats or whatever and snow's not too deep and they can get down and eat and they got some open water, whether that be the big river, a power plant, uh, spring, whatever the case may be, as long as they got open water, they're gonna stick around. But but the question that I'm posing, um, and this is gonna really sound convoluted, I want to see the data before the power plants were a thing. Mm. What did those birds do before the power plants were a thing? Sure. Because you're not gonna tell me that that did not massively change things. Oh, so, I don't think anybody would. I don't think. I think we all know that 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 was a huge factor okay so if we're taking if we're taking that into consideration um let's take the story of the mayo brothers right it's my understanding as per dean Talugan, that the mayo brothers brought in a captive flock of giant canadas from northern iowa is that am i am i in the ballpark that i'm not sure i don't really i haven't heard that particular story um but there were um, there were goose introduction programs for yes. sure, so um, there's probably a shred of truth to that. 
so if there's a shred of truth to that, let me ask you something. If you if you have let's say six generations of a giant Canada goose who's naturally lazy because he's a big bastard and he's got open water and he's got food. Mm-hmm. So you've got that six generations where he has not known migration. And you bring that you bring that attitude and that genetic material and you introduce that to a very much wild and breeding and migrating and somewhat doing their natural thing um, and mix that in, what are you going to get? You're going to get a hybrid. If you look at a genetic matrix, you're going to get a hybrid. Sure, so, if they do, but you're also assuming that they have the same breeding um, tendencies. Oh, they're going to fuck each other. Well, maybe, maybe not. Hundred percent, they're gonna fuck each other. Well, even in the and, spring, and I'll they tell have you why. Migration patterns and, and well, and definitely, habits. definitely. But but here here here's why I'm gonna tell you they're gonna interbreed. How many times have you seen a farm goose and a Canada goose together? Uh, a handful of times. Enough said. Yeah, but it's, it, but it's not enough. To, I don't think it's enough to change all entire population. No, no, that's not what I'm saying. I'm just my argument is simply that they will breed together. Sure. Sure. It happens. But I'm, I'm saying that there could be a slight chance that genetic material got crossed, right? Sure. I think definitely think that's a possibility. Yeah. My opinion. I think that resources probably have a bigger driving factor on where birds winter and how they move around and migrate than genetics. I agree. I agree. But I, I would also, I would also like to see or hear somebody, you know, discuss that if that is in fact the case, if that is in fact the case that there were um, a captive flock of giant Canada's brought in to help, bolster the population i would like to hear someone discuss that one day that would yeah, be very I, interesting i mean it, it, there's probably more than a shred of truth to it i mean like i said they i mean in the early 80s goose populations were super low i mean it was quite common for um different states and areas to get geese to re you know reintroduce the population As yeah what i know is like when then when our population started to explode we were then shipping geese off to you know places like Denver and and different municipalities that wanted to bring back their their population. So yep, I mean that that for sure happened. I mean I don't know what um, what the ramifications aren't quite the right word, but um, the effects of that. But it's also it's also then like well what would I mean I guess I don't know ultimately what's the point of if they did, are you alluding to that? That's like a, a negative, a net negative somehow that the. No, I'm I'm not I'm not suggesting that it's a negative. I'm just saying that um, potentially bringing in genetic material from a de- domesticated animal could um, dilute the genetic um, genetic structure of the wild Canada goose just mm-hmm. a little bit. Possibly, it might muddy it. Possibly, but but. Again, I don't think I think if there is any crossbreeding is it likely was happening already. I mean, nothing stopping a horny goose from landing in some farmer's farm pond and getting it on, you know. I mean, we've oh, all, no. we've all seen the white the white, you know, um, farm goose cross uh, 
happen from time to time. So um, I know I've I'll, personally shot a couple of them, so they're out there for sure. Dude, I'll tell you, we had a we had a white farm goose in town for quite a number of years, and he interbred multiple times. In fact, 2014, I had GoPro footage that I'm kicking myself for not keeping. Um, I ran across one of his offspring on some public land north of uh, north of town, and he circled, circled, circled. You could just barely see him because of that wide-angled lens, but you could hear that, just that cratchety. <laughs> that raspy, yeah. yeah. He, he, he set up, up river right where I was thinking about thinking about sitting, and I would have mounted him too. And then, um, and then taking him to the taxidermist? Oh, straight up. But um, later that later that year, um, was it was it that year or the year before? Anyhow, we were duck hunting the southern portion of the river south of town, and we saw something fly downriver right to left. It landed. I didn't know if it was a pelican or whatever. It was late in the year. It was duck season, and somebody goes down to jump it. All right, no, I went down to jump it, and the two two guys I was hunting with were uh, upriver by the decoys. I spooked it. They dump it. It was that farm goose. Hmm. It never left town, man. That was the first time wow. any of us had ever seen it leave town, and we shot it. Crazy. Dude, it was nuts. We got shot at. This year we got shot at. I'm not going to name any names, but here's the deal. I was with person A and person B. We were on this uh, we were on this piece of public, and uh, it's a really, really small piece of public. It's so small that when you pull into it, and uh, you know, just common courtesy as a waterfowler, um, you know the spot's so small that you can't safely even can't safely or ethically hunt two people out of it. So you either go up and talk to them or you leave. Mm-hmm. And uh, I've been in both I've been in both those positions before. Um, I've been on all sides of it actually. And uh, you know we got our decoys set up. We got our uh, got our three mallards coming, and they took about six passes. They're they're on that final swing, and there's some guys, two guys standing up on the cut bank. And we're down, we're way at the bottom, we're in this, uh, we're in this panel blind all brushed in, it's just looking sweet, just getting ready to call the shot, and they cut into them. Oh my god. And they're shooting down at us, and at us, and it's one of those situations, like, at the bar, it's like, yeah, if anybody shoots at me, I'm shooting back. It's like, Mm -hmm. you have every intention to shoot back, but when you get caught caught, like, with your pants down, and you're, you don't feel you're in danger, at least from my perspective, I didn't feel I was in danger and my pants were down. And when it was over, it was like, okay. But anyway. Yeah, that's just something people say. I don't think the vast majority of people are going to shoot back. They're going to duck and cover and be like, holy crap. You know, like, do you really want to get into an Old West uh, shootout? Like, that's not going to end you, well for anybody. You, if you think it's your life and they continue to shoot, you have no other I mean, choice. Well, I mean, I you know, go ahead and throw a warning shot and let them. Maybe they don't know you're there. I'm going to give them the benefit of the doubt. But if they know them there, the if if it's that bad, chances are I'm calling the the um you know calling law enforcement. Well, yeah, but I mean that's that's my point. That's like your that's like your half or a quarter of a percent of a chance of that ever happening. That's mm-hmm. what I'm referring to. I'm yeah. not talking about your accidents. Right. This, this was negligence on their part. Anyhow, so someone in our blind um, stood up and just took a shot at one of the ducks. It turned out to be a body shot. It went up and died um, upriver. Comes back floating down. We, uh, 
we just thought it was a duck swimming down. So somebody in our blind is like, hey, there's a drake skim in the water. Wait, wait. It's not a duck. It's a beaver. Oh, no, it's, a, it's a duck. It's a duck. Wait, wait. No, it's a drake. Yeah, everybody sees it's a drake. And somebody in our blind gets up, shoots it. I said, that fucker was already dead. So we get out there. It, it wasn't kicking or nothing. Like there was no, there was no, uh, you know what I mean? Like there was no flinching. That sucker. Sure. You know, like how often does someone get to double tap a dead duck <laughs> and get shot at? <laughs> I thought you were going to tell me you actually killed a beaver thinking it was a duck. Oh, no, I'd never admit that. <laughs> I have no, I have no yeah. crimes to report to you. <laughs> yeah, you know, I've, I've admitted a few on this podcast before. There's there's a statute of limitations, I think. No one's ever come it- after me. Is it is it five years? I don't know what it is. It's yeah. Anyhow, so um, yeah, I saw I've seen Austin change, and uh, it's I don't want to connect it to social media and just because that's that's really uh, that's that's been a scapegoat for so many things for so many people for so long that that's not that's yeah, not a thing. It's the easy scapegoat. I'm not gonna say there. It doesn't play a role, but is it the only element? Of course not. I mean, there's too many variables. You know, there's changes in farming practice. There's urban expansion. There, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. Um, what is the predator uh, populations year in and year out? How was nesting success that year? Like, what were, what were hunter numbers and success rates the year prior or, the, or that seat? Like, there's just so many things that can lead into it. And in general, sure. people just want an excuse. You know. Sure. What I'm suggesting is social media is has been a convenient medium for a lot of things, um, you know, good and bad. Mm-hmm. And, you know, whether it be decoy calling, you know, decoy placement, calling um, styles, tactics, things like that, hiding, you know, what have you. And then there's clout seekers and oh, all yeah, this other all that stuff. stuff. And, I, I think and, yeah. when it comes to just to go on a tangent about decoy spreads, <clears throat> I personally don't think it matters <laughs> i really don't uh wild geese don't land in shapes and they definitely don't land in letters um but what that does is sell magazines yeah I, I like i quite literally think the hunting magazine industry like drove the concept of decoy patterns they had to write yeah. you have to write about something yeah you know yeah, theory, placement, and all that. And what better way to dumb it down for your average person than to create a big why? Yeah, you, you know, or J hook, or this, or that. Oh, we gotta. I always like the concept of a stopper. We gotta, we gotta run this line here to stop the geese. You know, that's not a wall, right? And they're flying like they can go right over that. It's not really stopping anybody. <laughs> no, but it, it you can use it to convince them. Maybe. Hundred percent, hundred percent. Time in Rochester tells me so. I, I'm a firm believer is in uh, using things as a blocker. Sure, but it doesn't work a hundred percent of the time. Oh no, nothing works a hundred percent of the time except for uh, you know maybe shooting them out the window. Right. Well, I'm just saying it's like, what's the metric? What's the percentage? What? And, and there's no downside of doing it. I don't. Well, maybe there is. I guess I don't know. But um, my point is again, I think that's another one of those like derived from magazine articles. And 
people needing something to talk about or seem like an expert. Like if you do this and you run this stopper, it's like, I don't, I, I, my personal experience with birds is that they're unpredictable as shit. Mm-hmm. When you think, you think you got everything out, you got, the, you did everything in the article, you put the stoppers out, you did the, you, you did this, you did that. And then they land behind you or they short you on the hill or they, just go straight over you and don't even look at you. Like there's no, like <clears throat> I think a lot of waterfallers think that if they just do a, B and C, that D will automatically happen. And it's just like, mm-hmm. and if it doesn't, then some crime has been committed against them somehow. Like, yeah. you, know, you know what I mean? And, and like, they sell all their decoys and cry like a bitch. Yeah. I mean, it's like, well, it's the public land hunters or it's the, this or it's the, that it's like, dude, no, they just, they're wild animals. They just fucking didn't decide to do it that day. I don't, I don't want you to tell you. Well, what getting back to the the concepts like the the stopper concept. So, I, I guess what I'm saying is, it can work one day, right? And it's not might not work tomorrow. Yeah. So don't do it tomorrow. Do what works tomorrow. Well, you need a crystal ball for that. No, you need to have two eyes, ears, and a brain. And you need to be constantly analyzing. Well, that flock didn't do it. I'm going to just change this up a little bit. Mm-hmm. And then I'm going to move this or I'm going to do this. And it's, in my opinion, I feel like if you have enough big Canada geese or even moderately sized Canada geese flying over you, giving you a look, and you're not changing things and you're not killing birds, you're wrong. You're just wrong. Mm-hmm. Well, the real, not you, the real, not you, the hunter. Right, right, right. I, I mean, um, so the real problem with with this is um, there's no way to truly test it in scientific fashion. No. So you can't try something, and it like you try something and it works. You're like, great, that worked, awesome. I'm a genius. I'm 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 a pro. Or you try something and it doesn't work, and then you adjust it, and then it does work. And I'm doing air quotes because. There's no way to reset the board. You can't go, okay, that worked or that didn't work. So, all right, geese, go back to the roost. Let's rewind time. Now I'm going to put my decoy spread like this and go, and we'll see how they react. Like there's no way to use the scientific method to actually test what works and what doesn't. All we actually have is anecdotal evidence. Mm Mm-hmm from as many people as you can, and then you try to find maybe a common thread and go with that. But ultimately, you just got to go with what you're confident in. And mm-hmm. and if that's running a stopper, then run a stopper line. And if that's running yeah. the U, then run a U. Because the what I do know is that if you're sitting in your blind and you don't like the spread or there's a certain decoy that's tilted or whatever, you find something – that's basically sapping your enjoyment of that hunt, change it because you're not, you're no longer in the moment having fun hunting geese. You're obsessing over this decoy spread. Isn't right. This isn't going to work. You're all crabby. You're all grouchy. You know what? That's why for me, you know, everybody has gotten into argument in the field, like how to set decoys or do whatever. I'm as guilty as the next person, but I've really gotten better in my, in my, old age just acquiesce to other people if somebody has a strong opinion about how they think the decoys should be spread and i generally don't i'm just be like sure let's do that 
because I just don't think it matters that much. I really don't. I think your hide and your calling is, at least with geese, is way more important than your decoy spread. Yeah, I'd agree. I'd agree. 100%. Definitely the hide and the, hide and the calling. You know, it's got to give them a place to land. I mean, they could even still land amongst them. They do that all the time. Yeah, well, I, I personally subscribe to not leaving a landing hole. Because, yeah. Because when I watch wild geese, they don't land in a landing hole. They generally do filter in where, you know, right in the mix. Sure. You know, so it's like, well, they don't they don't need a landing hole. You know, like Nick J says, like, if they wanted to land where there wasn't geese, they would just pick a whole different spot of the field. You know, you're in yeah. a 20-acre field. Why are they only going to this one quarter of an acre? Like, if, if, they're, if their goal was needing a landing zone, well, what's wrong with 100 yards over there where there's no geese, you know? And we've all seen geese do that, too. That's the other thing. It's like sometimes they do, you know? Yeah. Well, yeah, sometimes sometimes they prefer a landing hole. Sometimes they don't. Sometimes they'll stop right at the edge of your decoys. Yeah, definitely short, yeah. It's a I, wild animal. So for me, my inclinations are, like, if I'm hunting by myself, how I generally set it is I want decoys in front of me in range. I don't like having decoys behind me because that gives them, if they're draw. I mean, the whole point of the decoys is to draw their attention, right? I don't want them skirting behind me. Now, now I can't shoot. Not to mention they can... They're, they're going to fly over me, possibly. Better chance mm-hmm. they're going to see me, bust me if my hide's not great or I move or whatever. But if I keep mm-hmm. everything out in front of me, that's where their focus is going to be and not on me. And, and, to a lot, and to a lot of times, I like a crossing shot yeah. a, lot, a lot more than, you know, wind at my back, landing in my face thing. Because, again, the, 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 as they're coming in, landing into the wind, focus is off of me. Yep you know yeah that's a that's exactly right you know when i have to hunt wind at my back i will um however i i do take a slightly different approach i like to run the majority of the decoys behind me um but it's kind of for the same reason i'd like to shoot them right when they get to the edge of the decoys and with the limited time that i had in rochester you know i didn't have a big long stud career i'm not gonna lie and say that i did um but in some certain very specific situations, heavy wind at my back, I will run the great majority of them behind me, you know, well, to have them look look beyond. Yeah, well, with that said, now with snow geese, I will sit at the front of the spread and have all of them because I've seen snows do this too many times where they, they're on the deck, belly scraping across the field. They get to that first, they're like – 10 15 yards off that first decoy and they either go way around or they just elevate her up well and, and also yep if you if i can be there when before they make that decision perfect <laughs> oh I, yeah i've done it once and, and that goes back to what we we're saying before be you know pay attention and make adjustments you know if yeah. if moving your decoys isn't working move you and actually moving mm-hmm. you, especially when you're talking about snow goose decoys and you're talking about, you know, like hundreds of decoys, if not thousands, it's going to be way easier to move you. You know, if 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 the pattern is, and I'm not talking a flock skirts your decoys, but consistently they're skirting and they're skirting the same way, <clears throat> just put yourself there. 
Put yourself yeah. before they make that move. But you're going to have to have a dope-ass hide. That's the only caveat to that. You know, then that element, like laying on whites, is not going to work. You're going to need layout blinds or a panel blind or something. And, yeah. And just hide really, really well. And before they have a chance to skirt your decoys, you shoot them when they're in range. Are they decoying, per se? Are they feet down backpedaling? Nope. But you're going to end up with a bunch of dead birds. <laughs> and isn't yeah. that the goal? I mean, ultimately. Yeah, I mean, and and when you're when you're hunting with your your average hunter, your your average client, that is ninety nine percent what they want. I'd I'd probably run into a handful of people, and that's five, literally five that wanted them feet down. Mm -hmm. Well, you know? I mean, that is, a ch and you know as well as I do, especially snow goose hunting that. That's a challenge in, in managing client expectations. You know, a lot of people mm. watch the YouTube videos or they think, you know, oh, they're just not decoying. It's like, listen, 90% of snow goose shots aren't decoying. No. Like, you get them in A range and you take the shot. Yep. <laughs> but it's up to the guide to read the body language. You know, if they're if they're in A range but you're reading them like, no, they're going to they're gonna circle around and we're going to get them. They're going to come down even closer. You know, that's where you're like, nope, just wait. Stay still, head down, wait, wait one more time, wait, they're going to do it dirty, you know. That's where that uh, experience comes in for a guy. Yep. But then, again, reading that body language where it's like these birds are literally just doing a flyby. They have zero interest in circling around. This, Yeah, I know they're at 60, but let's give let's give them hell. You know, maybe, oh, we, maybe we drop a couple, you know, because we're, we're not getting a better look. Yeah, the – Snow goose is a pigeon of the waterfall world. You can knock them down. Right. And then, or they're working, they're working, they're working. And then you see that one that's like the leader of the group and he's starting to act sketchy and he looks like he's going to bail. And you're like, let's take him. And everybody's like, why'd you call the shot so early? Because they were getting ready to skin out. That's why. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and you, you can't please everybody, but you no, try to you, please yeah, most people. You can't. But again, I think that just comes down to um, good communication between the guide and the clients. Like, let them know yeah. why you made that decision. Let them know, you know, what you saw, you know, and, and pass on, hopefully pass on some information to them, you know. There's some clients that are there to learn, and there's some clients that they're one and done, you know. They've never been snow goose hunted before. They saw it on YouTube and thought it was cool. They wanted to try it. They did it. They'll probably never do it again, even no matter how successful they were, you know. Yeah, and, and I've run into maybe – just about as many um, really deep thinking new hunters. And what I mean by that is they're really there for the experience. They're really there to completely immerse themselves. And they're they're really thinking about coming back again and they're taking that information all mm -hmm. in. Yeah, for sure. And and those are the those are the people I really tend to gravitate to because it's like they're coming out and you know, whatever they just bought, like they're not, and I'm not, I'm not ripping on people by Sitka or anything like that, but it, they're not coming out in anything designer, but they're, they're genuine. Right. You know, and, and, uh, whenever they have a question, no matter how mundane I think it is, it's like, oh yes, sir. You know, whatever you need, man. Yeah. Well, yeah. I, and I love those. I love the people that soak up, you know, they ask a bunch of questions and they, they actually listen to you and they're soaking up that information. I love that. And I mean, I've met some awesome people in the field, clients and, and fellow guides alike, as you are example to. So, um, yeah, well, let's wrap this up. 
Um, right. Go ahead and hit everybody up with your dog training information again if they want to get All right. some work done. Well, um, that is Rick and Andrew McConico of Old Oak Kennels at 612-269-1194. And I will be taking one service dog or obedience dog at a time. And my phone number is 507-589-5040. Thank you, Dale. You bet. I mean, it's a, it's a little bit different, difficult for me now because I live in North extreme northern Minnesota. But keep me uh, in the loop about what's going down there. And, uh, you know, I've been known to do some stupid shit. Nick J has talked to me into hunting a tall grass prairie <laughs> before. Dude. Just as a, wild, a public land, wild hair up our ass hunt. We didn't kill anything, but damn it, it was a good time. So I'm not afraid to do stupid shit. Here, I, I'm going to give you an invite. I'm not going to tell anybody where it's at. Everybody down here knows where it's at, but they don't hunt it because they're a bunch of pussies. Um, <laughs> you come down here. You got a 50/50 shot on the leg band. I'm going to send you some. I'm going to send you some leg band picks from oh, just wow. last year. Ooh, goose porn. I love it. I love All it. Right. <laughs> All right, dude. We will uh, talk to you later, and uh, I appreciate you, dude. This was great. All right. Thanks, bud. Later, man. Bye. Mondays, head offshore with Captain Scott Walker and Steve Roger for breathtaking deep sea adventures. Coming to me, coming to me, coming to me. Double. He's jumping, he's jumping, he's jumping. Oh! oh. Look at Ooh. that belly. Don't miss Mondays with Into the Blue. Brought to you by Academy Sports and Outdoors from 7 to 10 p.m. Eastern. Tell a few fish stories along the way. On Waypoint TV, the destination for outdoor entertainment. to go like just full-blown redneck on these fish. This is like high-tech cane pole fishing right here. From the white sandy beaches to the crystal blue waters, enjoy the best fishing Panama City Beach has to offer during Chasing the Sun, Sundays at 9.30 a.m. Eastern on Waypoint TV, the destination for outdoor entertainment.